NFL players must wear a helmet. It dons the team's logo and colors. While some teams' helmets are more flashy and appealing than others, the helmets serve the same purpose, to protect the player from injuring their head or causing concussions. And due to certain players in the past, the NFL was forced to begin regulating how safe a helmet needs to be. They also added rules that made certain ways of tackling illegal. One way they did this was outlawing the ability to tackle a player by grabbing their face mask. And the NFL defined this rule as such. Article 15. Twisting, pulling, or turning the face mask or helmet opening. No player shall grasp and control, twist, turn, push, or pull the face mask or helmet opening of an opponent in any direction. Note. If a player grabs an opponent's face mask or helmet opening, he must immediately release it. If he does not immediately release it and controls his opponent, it is a foul. The penalty for twisting, turning, pushing, pulling, or controlling the mask or helmet opening is a loss of 15 yards. The player may also be disqualified if the action is flagrant. The foul is by the defense. It also results in an automatic first down. Before we can understand why the NFL felt inclined to add rules regulating tackles and how safe a helmet needs to be, I think it is important to understand how far the helmet has come. Long ago, when football was just getting started, players never wore a helmet. Well, why not? Easy. Football was invented before helmets. So, who invented the helmet? The man largely credited with inventing the first helmet was George Barclay. In 1896, he designed a headgear which soon became not known as a helmet, but a head harness. Had three thick leather straps forming a close fit around his head, and it was made by a harness maker. However, other sources do credit the invention of the football helmet to U.S. Naval Academy midshipman Joseph M. Reeves. He had a protective device for his head made out of moleskin to allow him to play in the 1893 Army-Navy game after he was told by a Navy doctor that he must give up football or risk death from another kick in the head. Fun fact about that game, the Navy won the game 6-4, and a duel almost occurred after the game between the Navy Admiral and the Army General, and that disagreement then resulted in zero Army-Navy games from 1894 to 98, which is the longest period of no games between the two iconic teams. Now, before the first helmet, Edgar Allan Poe III, who's actually the grandnephew of the famous writer Edgar Allan Poe, developed a small leather nose protector, which, however, was found to severely interfere with vision and breathing and to come off too easily. Later helmets were made of padded leather and resembled aviators' helmets. The helmet slowly began to take more of the appearance we recognize today, when around 1915, 
more padding and flaps were added with ear holes for better on-field communication. The next innovation came around 1917 in the form of suspension to cradle the skull away from the foam shell. Straps of fabric formed a pattern inside the helmet. They absorbed and distributed the impact better, and they allowed for ventilation. This invention was considered to be a breakthrough. They were first known as a Zupke helmet after the Illinois coach who came up with the design. Rawlings and Spalding were some of the first manufacturers of this design. And the first person to design a bar face mask on a football helmet was Vern McMillan, the owner of a sporting goods store in Indiana. It was a rubber-covered wire mask on a leather helmet. This kind was used in the mid-1930s until the first plastic football helmet came in 1940. It was invented and patented by John T. Riddle and his son, John T. Riddle Jr. of the John T. Riddle Company, which is a sporting goods provider in Chicago. The single molded shell was stronger, lighter, longer lasting, and did not rot away the same way leather does when it's damp. In 1940, Riddle also developed the first chin strap to rest on the chin instead of the neck and the first plastic face mask. There were problems, however. The plastic helmets were brittle when hit head-on, and the bar hole that was drilled for the face mask tended to pop loose. Riddle's plastic helmets were a little flat on top at first, but it changed to its teardrop shape, which allowed a blow to slide from one side or the other rather than be met head-on. Interestingly enough, the last NFL player to play in a game without a helmet was Dick Plasman for the Chicago Bears in 1940. In 1955, G.E. Morgan, a consultant to Riddle and Paul Brown, the coach of the Cleveland Browns, invented the BT-5 face mask, which is a single bar design. The year after the, the release of the BT-5, a single wave radio was invented by John Campbell and George Sarlas who approached the then Cleveland Browns owner, Paul Brown, to install a radio inside quarterback George Ratterman's helmet. This, however, only resulted in game-time interference and was soon outlawed by the then NFL commissioner, Burt Bell, after only three preseason games. However, it wasn't until 38 years later, in 1994, that the radio transmitter inside the quarterback's helmet was revisited. In 1971, Morgan, now a chairman of the board of Riddle, received a patent for energy-absorbing and seizing means for helmets. The result were the new HA-91 and HA-92 energy-absorbing microfit helmets. They had valves on their crown to allow air to be pumped into vinyl cushions that were crammed into every space inside the helmet. The player put on the helmet and then had it pumped up to fit firmly around the player's head. In late 1976, because of concern for safety, 
four-point chin straps were required in college ball. These kept the helmet firmly in place. Space Age ridged polycarbonate alloy plastic helmets and vinyl coated steel alloy face masks became standards in the 1980s and 1990s. In 2002, Riddle released a new, more spherical design for the helmet called the Revolution, or Revo, and is currently the most widely used helmet in the National Football League. The shoot counterpart is called the DNA Pro Adult Helmet. A study released by the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center shows that the Riddle Revolution, and others like it, reduced the incidences of concussion by 31%. Subsequently, a Senate Commerce Committee meeting on October 19, 2011, heard testimony from Jeffrey Kucher, an associate professor of neurology at the University of Michigan and the chair of the Academy of Neurology's Sports Neurology section, that there is no significant data in the UPMC study for Riddle to make the claim that the helmet reduced concussions by 31%. Now that we know the history of the helmets, it's time to discuss the man who would eventually make the NFL create some rules concerning the face mask and tackling. This man is Dick Night Train Lane. Lane was born in Austin, Texas in April 1928. His mother was a prostitute who abandoned him when he was three months old. His father was a pimp that people called Texas Slim. Ella Lane, a woman living on East 9th Street in Austin, Texas, heard something crying in a dumpster and at first thought it was a cat. It was a child swabbed in old newspapers. Mrs. Lane decided to adopt this infant. Ella Lane tried to keep her adoptive son on the straight and narrow she assigned him household chores such as cleaning the chicken coops, washing clothes, and emptying wash tubs. She once beat him with a leather belt for ripping his clothes while playing football in the neighborhood. Lane sharpened his football skills in the streets of Austin, even in the wilting summer humidity and despite Elle's urgings to pursue other, safer activities. He was a three-sport athlete at L.C. Anderson High School in Austin. Although he enjoyed basketball the most, he was best at football. He helped Anderson, who played in an all-black conference, win the state championship in 1944. Not anticipating a pro career, Lane joined the Army at 19, following one season at Scottsbluff Junior College in Nebraska. He served as a lieutenant colonel in World War II and then in the Korean War. While he continued to play football recreationally, when he left the military, he worked at an aircraft plant, lifting sheets of oil-covered metal into bins. Lane soon found his way to the Los Angeles Rams office and asked for a tryout. With only his scrapbook of high school and junior college football clippings, the Rams decide to gamble on Lane. The offensive line was Lane's first choice. Although his efforts and passion for the sport were right on track, would-be Hall of Famers such as Tom Fears and Crazy Legs proved to be steep competition for the six-foot-two lane. Fears happened to always play a particular record 
called Night Train. As the book Pro Football Hall of Fame All-Time Greats explains, one day a teammate entered the room, saw Dick, and blurted out, Hey, there's Night Train. And Night Train Lane it was from then on. Rams coach Joe Steider soon made the decision to move Lane to defense. Both his physical statue and attributes meshed perfectly for a model defensive line player. Lane burst onto the NFL scene in 1952 by setting a record for the most interceptions in a single season with 14. And, more impressively, this was accomplished when the NFL played only a 12-game regular season. This record still stands today. Lester Haynes, who I will address in a future episode, Dan Sandifer, and Speck Sanders are close behind Lane's record with 13 interceptions. Lane also ranks fourth all-time for career interceptions with 68. Though his gambling style of play produced many interceptions, it was Lane's ferocious tackling that is most memorable. In 1969, just four years after his retirement, Lane was voted the best cornerback in the first 50 years of the NFL. Five years later, he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, forever remembered as one of the hardest hitters in NFL history. In 2009, a film produced by the NFL ranked Lane number two on its list behind Dick Buckus as the most feared tackler in league history. The film also credited Lane's practices with the prohibition of clothesline tackles. This leads us to the safety aspect of the face mask rule and why Lane was widely credited with its creation. Lane's preferred technique of tackling was to rip a receiver down by his neck and head. This rip often had receivers more concerned about their well-being than the football. For this reason, the NFL eventually outlawed this head-hunting technique. This, however, did not diminish Lane's ability to dominate games. In 1961, he tackled John Arnett by the face mask as he ran full speed down the field. Arnett laid motionless on the field after the tackle, and the play left a lasting impression. The following year, the NFL adopted a rule prohibiting the grasping of an opponent's face mask. Lane states, My object is to stop the guy before he gains another inch. If I hit them in the legs, they may fall forward for a first down. I grab them around the neck so I can go back to the bench and sit down. The NFL has more than a dozen health and safety committees, subcommittees, and panels. Their analysis covers all injuries impacting players, including concussions and ACL and MCL tears, and it considers how protocols and rule changes are making an impact on player safety. The NFL recently added a use of the helmet rule, which states that it is a foul if a player lowers his head to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent. 
the comprehensive review of data and video led by the NFL's medical and engineering advisors suggests that there may be an increased risk associated with lowering the head to align the neck and spine to initiate and make contact with the helmet. The review also showed that over the course of all games during the 2015 through 2017 seasons, the kickoff represented only 6% of plays and 12% of concussions. Ahead of the 2020 season, biomechanical engineers appointed by the NFL and NFLPA used an updated testing methodology during 35 total helmet models, including six new models never tested before by the league. Four of the new six helmet models are among the top 10 ranked models on the poster, suggesting that improvements in helmet design, engineering, and technology are yielding better results and better performing equipment for players. For the sixth year, the NFL and NFLPA have worked together to test and rank helmets, and over that time, NFL players have continued to upgrade their helmets to those which perform better at reducing head impact severity. All helmets tested in 2020 meet the current National Operating Committee on Standards for Athletic Equipment, otherwise known as NOCSAE, certification standards to protect players against severe traumatic skull and brain injuries.